This is the third Sunday of Easter. Last Sunday, the second Sunday of Easter, every year we read in the Gospel according to St. John about Thomas not believing Jesus had risen unless he could see him in his wounds and put his hand in his side and so forth. And so we have the wonderful line in that gospel about, do you believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have come to believe. Today, on the third Sunday, we begin uh, the process of listening to the apostolic preaching about the significance of the resurrection, but more to the point, how the early Christian church began to constitute constitute itself and what were the things that it focused around and understood to be central to their common life together. So remember always what I say through the Great 50 Days, and that is that The Easter uh, Great 50 Days have liturgically four parts. The light of Christ, the history of salvation, the sacrament of baptism, and the sacrament of the Eucharist. And it is through those things that Christian people access the three great theological themes of the whole of the liturgical year, God's light, God's life, and God's love. And so today, in the reading from the book of Acts, and in the reading from 1 Peter, we have the apostolic preaching being placed before the church, and in perhaps the most beautiful resurrection appearance story in the New Testament, Jesus on the road to Emmaus with two of the disciples. And we see in this story also part of the apostolic preaching understood as how the gospel writer Luke begins to place before his readership, his hearership, an understanding of how he understands the work of the Savior as it continues in them. In the book of Acts, remember, by the way, Acts is volume two of Luke's gospel. The same person who wrote Luke wrote Acts. So if you really want to amaze your friends, you can, you can refer to this as Luke Acts, and they'll go, oh my goodness. The book of Acts today, we have Peter preaching and exhorting the people to baptism, one of the themes of the great 50 days. And he gives them a sweep of the history of salvation, And their response is, what should we do? And he says, you should repent and be baptized. Change the direction that you're looking for happiness. Be grafted onto the body of Christ and make a difference in the world. Be part of God's people in the world. And we are confronted with the astounding uh, statistic that that day 3,000 people were baptized. This, by the way, is not unusual in in parts of the Anglican Communion today, like in Africa and so on, where you will have those kinds of baptismal services. But let me say a word to you about these huge numbers. Uh, A lot of people have been skeptical for a long, long time, probably from the beginning, that there was this kind of exponential growth in the church 
And about 15 years ago, a sociologist by the name of Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. He, he, I first knew about him in seminary because he and another guy named Glauck wrote a book called American Piety, where they did a sociological study of people's religious instincts in this country or their spiritual quests or whatever you want to say. And one of the conclusions that they arrived at from their study was that 85% of all of the people in their study claimed to have had a religious experience and experience of God at least once in their life. And they were speaking at that particular time not merely uh, in, in Christian terms, but in terms of uh, the great faith traditions and in terms of uh, the spiritual sensibili sensibilities and sensitivities of human beings. And 85% said, we have had an experience at least once where we believe that we were in the presence of God or felt the presence of God. So he said to himself, Rodney Stark, one half of that study, said, what if I used the tools of a sociologist and looked at the biblical witness and the extant literature that is after and be during the writing of the New Testament in the first three or four centuries of Christianity to see if there's any information that would indicate that it's fairly reliable that what is talked about by the biblical witness but also early church historians like Eusebius uh, would be credible. And the conclusion that he came to was that it was credible. And he describes as an example, uh, in 250 AD, there was a plague in Antioch, the city of Antioch. And at that particular time, the most prominent physician in the Roman Empire was living in Antioch. And when the plague hit, he beat it. He left. And you know, in, 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 in that thought world, most people said, that's a very smart thing to do. You need to get out of here. This is terrible. Never mind the skill set you might have. In order to assist this process, you need to save yourself. The Christians stayed. Many of them caught the plague and died but they looked after the sick and cared for them during the time of the plague. Uh, this was a very compelling example. And for many people, it provided them with an instrument to uh, their own personal conversion to Christianity. So I'm not surprised that those numbers are in there, and maybe they're not as inflated as people might think that Christians, by their example, the transparency and a reflection of God's light, God's life, and God's love, uh, is something that early on they sought to emulate and to express and to reflect back to the world. First Peter is an extended baptismal homily. So it is an exhortation at baptism about its meaning, and that in this particular case, we once again have the great sweep 
of the history of salvation and the comment that this message, this sacrament, this power is for those that are far away as well as near. And so we begin to see in 1 Peter the early apostolic preaching about what they believe to be true about Jesus, about new life, about transformation, and about what's central to their common life uh, on a regular basis. But in the reading from the gospel, it's where I think the rubber hits the road today because we have both the apostolic preaching and the deep commercial message uh, for the sacramental life. That we are a church of word and sacrament. Now a little bit about Luke. Luke is the great historian of the New Testament. His writing and style are the best. He was the Shakespeare of the New Testament. His Greek was extremely good. He was in all probability a Gentile Christian. And he is now at pains in his gospel to reflect an underlying theme that is part of Luke's gospel. Luke, you know, is about the presence of the Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus in his earthly ministry, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, in the book of Acts, that we become the fiduciaries and the beneficiaries of the Holy Spirit of God. And also, he is a great advocate for the view that the history that we can read about in the sacred literature of the Jews and in other literature is predictive of the coming of Jesus. And if our eyes had been open and we had understood this, we would have seen, as Christian people, this truth. So we need to remember whenever we read something like this beautiful text that the word gospel means good news. And what it means in the New Testament for all four gospels is the good news brought up to date. And what I mean by that is this. Jesus was crucified, died, rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven in 33 A.D. Luke's gospel was written in 85. That's 52 years later. That's two generations later. So the good news about new life transformation growth now needs to in some way speak to the issues that these emergent Christian bodies needed to concern themselves with. How then must we live? What must we do? How do we interpret and understand our sacred literature? How do we interpret and understand the teaching of the Savior? And the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus has as its source a nucleus from the oral and written traditions that Luke then takes and creates this beautiful narrative around, where he focuses those who listen to this on the themes that were of concern to his community. 
How do we understand God's saving work in the world? And if we believe that in Jesus Christ we have seen the unique focus of the divine presence, were there any circumstances prior to that event where we can begin to see how this might have been so? And how do we as Christian people on a weekly basis reconnect to the risen Savior? And how do we receive in some way some clarity of purpose and understanding? How are we given the spiritual stamina and self-regulation to meet the demands and the opportunities that are in front of us on a daily basis? And so we have two things here. Jesus is walking with the disciples and he is opening the scriptures to them. He is interpreting to them what those, that literature means in light of the Messiah, of the Son of Man, of who he was, and how people have begun to understand this. And then he accompanies them to an inn and he is known to them in the breaking of the bread. Their eyes are open. It's the Holy Eucharist. And what are the last two parts of the four parts of the Easter liturgy? Baptism, Peter, Acts, the Eucharist, Luke in today's gospel. God's light, God's life, and God's love. You know, in the 16th century in the West, we had something called the Protestant Reformation. And for a long time, the Protestants, most Protestants, believed that the focus of our life together should be on the Word. So they would have been completely on board with opening the scriptures to us and a lot of time and energy was spent on that for sure. I had someone at the sermon discussion say to me uh, today, if you go into some of those old reformed churches, Calvinist churches in Europe, the pulpit's right in the middle here. Not the altar, the pulpit. And the preacher's up there and there's a big tester over the thing and he's, he's rocking forward. Right? So what we're talking about here is the word preached. And what we now call the Roman Catholic Church was focused on the sacramental life. And maybe up until Vatican II in the 1960s, uh, the word was subordinate to that. Well, you know what? They're not mutually exclusive. We're a church of word and sacrament. And this gospel from Luke, the story on the road to Emmaus, is about a commercial message for word and sacrament. Opening the scriptures. And what we, my teacher O.C. Edwards, my New Testament professor, always taught us and told us that the sermon was the apostolic commentary on the Holy Scriptures. 
And you, my friends, have heard in the biblical witness today the apostolic preaching. If you really want to amaze your friends, you can refer to it as the kerygma, which is the Greek word, the proclamation, the early proclamation of the church. So this week, give thanks for being able to be an ambassador of God's light, God's life, and God's love. And give thanks for the Holy Eucharist, the spiritual food and drink that empower us to be God's people in the world. Amen.